You are now listening to Discover Your Potential with radio talk show host Dan Gilman, Cindy Gilman's son. So listen, participate, be inspired, know that you can discover your potential. Here is Dan Gilman. Welcome to Discover Your Potential. I'm your host, Dan Gilman. I am so excited about two special guests we have today. One, we have Dr. Bernie Siegel. He is an American writer, retired pediatric surgeon who writes on the relationship between the patient and the healing process. He is known for best-selling book, Love, Medicine, Miracles, as well as Peace, Love, and Healing. Most recently, he co-authored a book called When You Realize How Perfect Everything Is with his grandson, Charlie Siegel. But first, I want you to listen to a clip from one of her previous shows with Dr. Bernie Siegel. Take a listen. You know, it's interesting, the life lessons that we learn. There are some very significant points, I think, that each of us learn from different sources in our lives. Some people seek their wisdom from gurus and books on philosophy. But my greatest lessons were learned through my paternal grandparents, and as I lovingly call them, my Bubby and my Zadie. I learned a feeling of peace while sitting next to my grandfather in the synagogue with his prayer shawl wrapped around my shoulder and what it felt like to feel peace from a peace-loving man. And I learned about love, unconditional love, from my grandmother. And every time as a new leaf was born on a plant, she would lovingly take a plain, clean piece of cheesecloth wrapped in in, in water and place it over the leaf and tell me how it was like a new birth and how lovingly we had to nurture each new leaf like a child being born. And when I went through my own healing process when they told me I would never be able to bear a child and I had to seek out other means, I learned about healing. And then in the 1980s, I came across a book a book that had a very significant impact on my life. And I've bought several copies of that book and given it to many different people. And finally, a few years ago, my son, who is now a teenager, bought me another copy of that book and signed it and said, I know you won't give this one away because it's from me. That book is Love, Medicine, and Miracles. It was written by Dr. Bernie Siegel. Dr. Bernie Siegel has written several books on peace, love, and healing, how to live between office visits. He's a retired physician, but he goes around the world and around the country impacting people's lives, and it's my pleasure to have this conversation with him today. So, Dr. Siegel, welcome. I've waited a number of years to say that. I want to welcome both of these amazing people on our show. Our pleasure. Together, you have written a book. I don't, I just have a digital copy right now. But when you realize how perfect everything is, the conversation about life between grandfather and grandson, and that's pretty amazing. It must have been a a thrilling experience to to work with your grandfather. Yeah, it is. It's it's amazing how it turned out. Um, Like he's... um, started his career in writing and stuff before I was born. So this is his 19th book and my second. Um, but it, it's been neat that my mom owns Wisdom of the Ages. It's a, a spiritual store in Class Center in Summersbury, Connecticut. 
and we used to host uh, my grandfather for um, lectures and things that he would do in uh, support groups. So like as a little kid, I used to see him lecturing to these crowds and, and the connection that, that his work had with people, the inspiration that he gave them. And I kind of went my own route in terms of, of writing and different things that I, I took from, uh, from my own life and how they, how they came out. I like to write spiritual fiction um, that has uh, lessons and teachings and stuff in it and, and poems, which is our book is all poetry here. But to, to see that it's cool how we came back together um, in, in a sense of our work connecting, uh, because like watching him inspire all of these people, it, it definitely was an inspiration for me that I want to uh, have my writing reach and help people in a similar way. Um, so to have a book with both of our names on it is uh, touching for both of us. This really happened out of my being impressed by Charlie, you know, because I don't remember our initial conversations, you know, through emails and things and talking. But um, when I realized he had written poetry, because I had shared some of mine with him, because he's such a spiritual, you know, he's like an old man in a young body. Mm. Um, and um, so I sent him things. He sends me things. And we're writing the same thing. And literally, some have the same titles, others the same subjects. And, it, it, and the thing that impressed me about him, too, was at his age versus how long it took me hmm. to deal with what was internal and begin to write and, you know, bring it forth from within me. Um, and that impressed me uh, again, not because he's a grandchild, but because of what he's done and the things he has to say. And uh, so it became enjoyable as well to see that we were both feeling the same way about life. Um, and, uh, you know, to just be honored by the kind of person he was and really respecting him and sharing with him. That's wonderful. Would you, would you care to share some of the pieces uh, in the book? Yeah, definitely. Charlie, page 36, titled Happiness. And, and let me say, before he reads this, when I started writing, I kept my journal hidden because it had nothing to do with happiness. It was all the things that were really painful for me and I had to get it out of my system. And one night I forgot to hide it. So the next day my wife said, I saw your journal, there's nothing funny in it. I said, my life isn't funny. You know, as a surgeon, it's painful. Uh, doctors commit suicide above average the you know the general population and you don't know what to do with your pain you can't cure everybody uh, that's what really changed my life a patient saying i need to know how to live between office visits and i changed my life to helping patients live but i was writing my pain down and she said nothing funny in it i said my life isn't funny what are you talking about and then she told me funny stories that I told the family when I came home from the hospital, you know, what had happened. But I never wrote a poem about them. Think about that, you know, what's stored in you uh, and what you're trying to get out. But anyway, Charlie, page 36. So that's why 
when I opened the happiness, it really says to me, we should all be writing poetry, you know, to bring forth what's within us and why he impressed me so much. You know, he didn't wait till he's had 500 disasters in his life to start writing poems. Go ahead, Charlie. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of that is the, like my background and the way I, I was brought up that yes. um, you know, my, my parents raised me with meditating and you know, like talking about your feelings kind of thing and, and resolving them in a, in a spiritual kind of sense. And I see my, my grandfather's work focuses a lot on the mind-body connection and the way that uh, meditation, visualization and everything can affect you physically. And then uh, classes that my mom teaches and everything I get connected with like how do you live from a soul perspective and using the, like the, the power of your soul in your life. Um, and so then you get body, mind and spirit tied together in this interesting kind of way. Um, so I think that's part of the, like the kinship of our work that we didn't discuss writing any of these, we just wrote them. Um, and a lot of our outlooks on things that we end up talking about on the shows and stuff, there's a, a connection there um, that comes from like a similar view on the world. Um, and when I, a lot of things, things that I write, uh, like I mentioned, kind of like spiritual fiction, some of the short pieces are like a conversation between two characters that I sort of like um, envision them in a way and, and there they are talking and I got to tell their story. Uh, so this is an excerpt from uh, one of those conversations between characters uh, discussing happiness. What did you find? The old man asked. Where is happiness for you? The young boy stood up atop the bench and held his arms spread wide. It is here, grandfather. Happiness is in everything, and it is in here. He put his hands to his heart. Happiness cannot be held in the hand, but what you can hold is the hand of another. Since you can't hold it in your hand, you can't lose it when you give some of it away. See, grandpa, it's magic. It always gets stronger the more of it you share. And, and just before it, you know, I keep talking about poems. I wrote this, and it's just called a poem. I didn't have time for a poem this morning. My soul will dry up like the fall leaves. I must water my soul and nourish my spirit. Without nourishment, I cannot survive. Give me a poem, bathe me in the divine. I want to live, feed my soul, breathe life into my spirit. Give me a poem. Beautiful. You know, when you think about it, if we all wrote poetry and gave it to the other people in our life to read, they'd know us. You know, we would know each other, bringing forth all this stuff from within instead of burying it and hiding it and hurting yourself. What was it like to be brought up in your home and what was your upbringing? Because it sounds really interesting and you've got an amazing grandfather. I was homeschooled, with, which um, was really neat that you know, my mom started me off with, with doing that like when I was a little kid. But then every year would ask if I wanted to continue with that or if I wanted to go off into the public school. And every year I was like, I, I want to continue with the, the homeschooling program. I did it through uh, Oak Meadow School. That, that's an accredited program that would send you the, the work to do and everything. And you'd uh, kind of submit it back in. Um, so my mom taught me a lot through the younger, um, earlier grades. And then you kind of work with teachers online and stuff. Um, but I often did my work right in the back of her store. So I would be um, working and listening to her, helping customers and working with people. And um, on my breaks, I would like go up and like hold a crystal and talk to people and stuff. And like from a very young age, I was starting to help out with things around the store and, and with people and everything. Um, and seeing the type of things that a lot of people came in needing help with in their own life. Um, 
My first book that I wrote is called Conversations with an Angel, a story of healing through the passageways of grief. Um, and it's that I saw a lot of the people coming for help and, and spiritual guidance and everything were dealing with grief or loss in their life. Um, that's one of those more, more powerful in a, a challenging way, um, things that you go through. Um, and to see that like, like the way that uh, people kind of have to work through it on their own in a way, but they can be given tools and given help and you know, given a hug in a way um, to, to work through it. Uh, that my first book um, focuses on that topic because all of my writing, I want to be something that's that's going to help people. Um, I also own a, my own small business as a nature and wildlife photographer. So my photography illustrates our, our new book when you realize how perfect everything is. Um, and then I, I offer prints and greeting cards and and stuff online and everything for my photography. Uh, but the focus with all of that is to show the beauty of the world around us and how we're all a part of it. Um, I want my pictures to be like a window that people can look through and see um, there's all this great stuff out there that that we're, we're born into and we're a piece of. And then there's a, a oneness between all of us by seeing that. Um, two came from like, uh, we have a lot of Native American friends through my mom's um, parents, my grandparents on that side. And, um, and then I've been around them a lot too. And this kind of interconnected view um, that comes with those teachings is a lot of the stuff that is like the background to my photography. Um, but the, all the, like a lot of the walls of our store now are all my photographs. And uh, it's great to be able to, to help people connect like that. I feel like that's a lot of my passion. That's wonderful. And I can tell you, from the perspective of science too that that works that when you fill hospital rooms with pictures of nature and not rock music <laughs> um those patients had less pain and went home sooner than people who either had abstract paintings or a blank wall you know and how they felt so nature and then you see if you open the book to page 68, Charlie says, nature heals. And across from him, I have written something called silence, mm. which let me read it first and then Charlie read his, all right? Yeah. Fax, phone, mail, life. Whose home is this? What do they all want? What, where is the silence? I remember hearing nothing, surrounded by sand dunes and nature. God, how beautiful and deafening is silence. It drowns out the facts, phones, and mail. Silence is so loud, nothing can or need be heard. I need to be silent inside until I can return to the silence outside to hear it all. That's nice. Charlie. It's one of my favorites of yours. Page 68. Nature heals. When the days are tough and the nights grow cold and fierce, I turn to the blessed spirit of nature that I would not fight the grief, but I would pat it on the head and say, take a breath, my sweet, there's no reason to grow upset. Let the wind carry away the sharpness of the pain and soothe your aching bones. Let the trees sing you their songs of peace and let the sun warm your face. Here together with the love of nature, we can be at peace. I mean, almost everything, because I came up with a word called hisboditis, H-I-S-B-O-D-E-D-U-S. I forgot what spiritual background it came from, but it was to go for a walk in nature. 
every day and then converse with God because you feel surrounded by God when you're out there in nature. And I have to say, as, as sort of a doctor, you know, always thinking, who did this? How did this get created? I mean, you cut yourself. How does your body know how to heal? You know, people don't know what to be grateful for. But one of my questions was, why is the sky blue? Why are leaves green? You know, how did that happen? I mean, because if you think of some other colors, you wouldn't want to go out during the day and look at that, uh, you know, it would depress you. But you walk out in nature now and it's a gift. Uh, or a flower. Oh, that, I don't know if you've written a poem about a flower, Charlie, but when you look into a flower, especially in the spring now, the design, the colors, it's incredible. You know, it's really like a painting by some famous artist. And that's what always makes me question creation. Um, how did it happen? And, and the wisdom, the intelligence, uh, the love, it's gotta be there. Uh, or you couldn't have created life the way it is. When you created the book together, did, did you just combine your writing or did you actually have, this is what our premise is. This is who we want to touch. Was there kind of a, a vision for that when you were writing your book? Uh, I mean, my reaction is no, it's an accident that we were communicating with each other and starting to send poems. And as you said, I mean, Charlie is pretty damn impressive as a human being. Yes. You, you too. <laughs> you both are. Well, it took me twice as long. Let's put it that way. More, more normal uh, timing. But it was when we started to share them that it really hit me. And I don't know how it happened. I think we sent it to people, you know, with the spirituals inside and uh, boom, it, they put it together. Yeah, the, the publisher is called Sacred Stories. So it just seemed perfect. All the people we met and to present it to them and put it together. And, nice. It's beautiful. You know, match poems and the photography. It just touches your heart. Yeah, that's I, I picked out the title and um, suggested it to Grandpa Bernie and to the publisher, and it, it's it's what we ended up uh, picking. Um, and in the when you first open the book, it says, "When you realize how perfect everything is, you will tilt your head back and laugh at the sky." That's an anonymous quote that I had actually seen on a, a greeting card in my mom's store when I was a little kid, and then I was like, wow, that's a, a like a powerful quote. Because um, the, the idea of it is like the the challenges in life and everything, the, the stuff that when you're in it, you'd think hey, that this isn't very perfect here. Um, it's more like that's later on, that that's going through those experiences, how you deal with them, how you respond, react, and, and overcome. Those kind of things are what create the type of human being that you are. Um, and so it's how you address the situation, the situations themselves that, that really matter. Um, but the, these situations give you a kind of feedback in life and a, a kind of um, stimulus in a way um, or, or reason to work on, on yourself and different things that, that make you that, that person. Um, so when you go on the cover of our book, we have a picture I took of a, a red-tailed hawk that he's soaring over these mountain ranges that I took this picture on the the peak, the summit of Mount Monadnock in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. um, there's 360 views all across New England up there. Um, and I, I was actually on the top of the mountain at sunset. Um, so you get these 
sort of orange and yellow colors. Um, oh. and the hawk was just surveying all these mountains and seeing when you sort of look from above at everything, these mountains that you climb, that it all comes together, that everything is perfect because it, it creates who you are. Um, so that um, there's many different topics. We have seven sections going through the book discussing life and spirituality. Um, but it's kind of the over-the-top summarizing message is that all of it comes together to, to be something perfect because it creates you um, and it creates your, your life and your relationships. That, that's, that's kind of the summarizing message of a lot of the, the way our work connects is what we found. My first reaction was when you realize how perfectly imperfect everything is. Yeah. Um, you know, was not comfortable with the title, but I think it, that's really what we're saying. It's perfectly imperfect. You know, what gets you to write a poem? What teaches you? Um, because, and, and I can say this as a physician, there are people who say their disease is a gift. It's been a wake up call, a new beginning. Mm. And we're talking about life-threatening illnesses. And mm. others say it's a disaster. It's draining me. It's pressure. Yeah. But who, again, is more likely to survive? The person who sees it as a teacher, you know, and, and they're rebirthing and starting a new life. And then their body gets the message. You like living? I'll do the best I can. Well, words can be very powerful, uh, especially in your book. Words are extremely powerful. Mm. And I know you were, you were at an event the other night and you, you brought that up and I found that really interesting. Yeah, the words and swords message? Yes. <laughs> yeah. The words and swords. Yeah. I mean, you can kill a cure with words or a sword. And so, and our son, um, Stephen, he did an art work when he was just a kid in school. It blew my mind when he came home with it because he filled the whole canvas with the word words, you know, with no space between them. It just words, 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 words. And you realize if you look at it, it says sword, 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 swords. And, and that's when it, it really blew my mind that this little kid comes home and even his teacher didn't understand where did that come from? But I think it comes from God knows where. You know, it comes from within us. Um, there's more within us, consciousness and past life experiences and a whole host of things. And so that said a lot to me that what I say to people can do the same thing as a scalpel in my hand. But in the past life, I was a knight and killed with a sword. And really? that was an experience I had um, because somebody said to me over the phone, because I was busy. And she said, why are you living this life? And I went into a trance mm -hmm. and visualized myself in a past life. Um, it wasn't, you know, something I believed in searching for or anything else, but it has had a profound effect on my life. And I think it's a part of all our lives. So I'm always saying to people, what's going on in your life? Why do you think you got sick now? Just this Monday morning, we have more heart strokes, suicides, and illnesses. It's not a coincidence. It's how people feel on Monday. And so when you're loving your life, and that's the other thing I began to see, people learn they have a short time left to live, so they really start living. You know, move, get a new house, get a dog, 
quit their job and start doing what they love. And, you know, then they show up and you say, hey, what happened? Because I wondered, how come you're not dead? You know what I mean? I mean, the funniest one, a landscaper. He had cancer of the stomach. I operated on him. I told him he needed more treatment. And he said, you forgot something. I said, what did I forget? It's springtime. I got to go home, make the world beautiful. So when I die, I'll leave a beautiful world. Six years later, the nurse handed me his chart. I said, he's dead. She said, open the door. So I opened the door to the examining room and there sat John. I have a hernia from lifting boulders in my landscape business. Oh, wow. And he became my therapist. I mean that literally about life. You know, like Charlie talked about nature. John was like an old time Charlie. Um, he just showed me so many beautiful things that I would have called junk or weeds or, but a little flower, a color. I mean, uh, the world became so damn interesting. When I'd go out jogging or riding my bike, I'd keep stopping and pulling up plants and stick them in our front yard because they looked so pretty. And, and people would say, what do you got all that stuff growing in your yard? <laughs> well, it wasn't stuff anymore. You know, it was beautiful. And I will finish with John lived to 91. After his wife died, he, you know, turned off his switch because he wanted to be with her. Yeah. Oh, that's an incredible story. Well, you did such significant work with children with cancer. Yeah. If there's one bit of advice you could give to parents to children, what, what would that be? Well, it's to love your children. And, and let me say it in several ways, because a study of Harvard students, they were asked, did your parents love you? They said, no, by middle age, 98% had suffered a major illness. If they said yes, 24% had. So what a difference about how you care for yourself and feel about yourself if your parents love you. And so that's the part I really saw. And I have to say also, I, I walked into a room with one of my patients who was dying. The parents were in the crib with this little kid. Oh, wow. And the love was incredible. And they were all sleeping. So I wrote a note and said, your child is so lucky. And then I'm walking down the hall thinking, hey, stupid. That kid has a short time left to live. How can you leave that note for his parents? They're, what are they going to think of you? So I ran back to get it, and they had awakened by then. Mm. And I said, I'm sorry, that note, I, I didn't mean it. They said, we know what you meant. We agree with you. You know, they loved their child. And what a difference it made. And I can say a lot of kids don't die when they're given to their parents because they're so sick. You know, there's no sense excluding them in the intensive care unit anymore. And mama grabs the baby and puts it against her bare breasts and the kid wakes up. I mean, I don't make up these stories, you know. It's that kind of touch and love that, that really make a difference in our lives. Oh, and well, let me give you this um, because this impressed me. We can reparent people. I got a phone call, the one that was most dramatic, uh, about 30 or more years ago. I don't know when Kevorkian was popular. And the young lady said, do you have Jack Kevorkian's phone number? I can't find it. I said, no, I don't. But why do you want that? Oh, I want to be dead. 
and she went into a little bit of her life. I said, look, I love you. You're a child of God. I'll be your chosen dad. And she didn't commit suicide. And I have cards in, that, on, in front of me as I turn my head to look at them. Happy Father's Day to my bonus dad. So I became a CD and then a BD. Um, <laughs> and it came from a suicidal you know, teenager in my office one day that oh. the CD, because she said to me, you're my CD. I said, what the hell are you talking about? I'm a CD. You're my chosen dad. And it's just incredible. See, when you help the kids see their beauty, another one, oh, all these stories keep coming back into my head. That's why I never stopped talking. She fell in the fireplace on Christmas Day. And the parents called me because I had operated on her system. She had appendicitis. Admitted her to the hospital with burns over her chest and arms and neck. And she used to yell at me, I hate you. Because it wasn't fun to work on the burns on a young child and the pain it caused. And the mother said to me, you know, one day you said, well, maybe someday you'll love me. I said, I don't remember saying that, but if you say I did, okay. What happens? Many years later, she shows up in the office for a checkup, 90 degrees outside. She's wearing a turtleneck and long sleeve sweater. I said, Madeline, what the hell is wrong with you? It's 90 degrees. I'm ugly. I don't want people to see how ugly I am. Then she said to me, I need to get a job this summer. Could you help me? I said, yes, I'll help you. And I got her a job at a nursing home where you had to wear a uniform that reveals your upper chest, neck, and arms. Because she didn't know that, but I knew it. She went and took the job because she needed it. And then after working there for, I don't know, a month or so, she came into my office and I said, well, how's it going? Nobody noticed my scars. When you're giving love, Madeline, you're beautiful. The greatest gift, another decade or more goes by, I get a phone call, Dr. Siegel, what is it, Madeline? My father died a couple of years ago and I'm getting married. Would you be my father at my wedding? And what song do you think they played? Through the years, you never let me down. You turned my life around. I forgot who sang that, the country western um, song. Yeah, because I didn't know that was going to happen, but she said, we'll get up and dance now. And then that's, I don't know if that was Kenny Rogers or not. Kenny Rogers. Yeah. yeah. Through the years. Yeah. 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 And you know, that's the gift that life oh. can give you when you help somebody else. Absolutely. What a gift. What a gift you are to, to so Hart too. That's why he was a gift. A to me. Absolutely. You're both gifts, gifts wow. to the world. Absolutely. As an artist myself, I, I loved your work connecting art and feelings for sick children. What inspired you to do that? And have you utilized art and healing through the process? Well, I never expected to write a book. I got a C in writing in college. And I literally never expected to write a book. And when somebody said, why don't you write a book instead of having to go out and talk all the time? I said, I can't write. I don't know how to write a book. And because of him, he got people together to help me write a book. And what I did was talk like I'm talking to you for hours and hours, and then somebody edited it into a book. Now I know how to use my mind in a way where it's okay to write, that I don't have to think I can feel, like the poetry. Yeah. I was an artist, a visual person. Our house is filled with portraits. 
what changed me was Elizabeth Kula-Ross because I went to her workshop to deal with my pain. She had me draw a picture for her. And then she started asking me questions about my life. Why is 11 important? I said, I've been doing this work for 11 months. Why'd you ask me that? You had 11 trees in the picture. What are you covering up? What are you talking about? You used a white crayon on a white piece of paper. You added a layer. What are you covering up? It was all my emotions. Mm-hmm. But by the time she was done with this drawing from my imagination, she knew so much about my life that I went back to the hospital with a box of crayons and would get people to draw pictures. And I thought I was discovering things. But then I learned Carl Jung, see, as a physician who knew anatomy too, uh, one of his comments was that what you're seeing in the drawing are somatic aspects. People would draw what their problem was without knowing what was going on in their body. But I could see the anatomy. So it was coming out of their consciousness. And I'd say the same place these poems come out of, you know, they come in words, but the things can come in drawings too. So that became a part of my life. And even another book called The Art of Healing. I'm not the only one who's written books about it. It, What's sickening is that you don't put it in medical school. The other side is when you ask doctors, draw yourself working as a doctor, they don't put patients in the picture. They put their diploma in and a desk. I mean that literally. Um, it's rare that a student shows himself with a person and helping them. So, and again, Jung's statement was the diagnosis helps the doctor, but it doesn't help the patient. So the doctors don't learn the patient's story. And that's again, what we're writing about. I would say to people, what are you going through? And the words they use would be about their life. So then I could say, what's going on? Well, how does that fit your life? And then they'd be more enlightened about how to heal their life. I asked Charlie how he got so smart so young. I think a lot of it was growing up in in my mom's store and with her teachings. As she grew up, my grandparents on her side were very spiritual and taught a lot of classes and meditation would would go around uh, speaking and and helping people. Um, So she grew up around all of that and then created the store off a similar kind of premise and um, and different uh, teachings that she had worked with. So um, the kind of the slogan in a way uh, for our stories, we're here to help. Um, so I grew up with that kind of uh, mentality of helping others and, and working with, but like, what's your own personal way that you're inspired to help others? Like we're all a piece of the pie and uh, you can't just kind of do this sort of general help. It, it's got to be like from your heart, from your soul kind of thing. Just kind of the fact of seeing like um, her and, and my dad too is a massage therapist and a home health aide and he's, you know, he does what he loves too. So he, like he gets get to do what you love. And I watched, uh, you hear about the way that uh, Grandpa Bernie retired from surgery and went into uh, like the way that felt right for him to help people. Um, so I see all these figures in my life that like, look, they're doing what they want to do. That's, that's also giving to people. Um, so when it, uh, I'm like finishing high school kind of time and looking at what do I want to do? Um, I was in Boy Scouts for a long time and I've actually, I've been in martial arts since I was four years old. Um, so I, I lead classes and, and I'm training all the time too. Uh, traditional martial arts, it, it's more like an internal spiritual kind of thing. So as I see these different facets of like, this is what I like to do and look how it's helping people. I wanted to make careers of that, like that quote that do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. So 
I, I started uh, finding ways that I could get my writing out to people more. Um, started the photography business and and doing my martial arts, and then I I work in the store with my mom. Um, so all these different things come together uh, as kind of expressions of these different parts of me. So I'm getting to do what I love, but I'm like the goal of it is to to make a difference and, and help people how I can. Um, so this this new book has been uh, really interesting for me and. Um, seeing that when I put my work out there, look, it's it's sort of like the the sibling to some of my grandfather's work and and his poetry, and uh, it's it's great to see when I've had a lot of people come back and say that they keep this book on their nightstand and they open it in the morning and start every day with what page did I open to and how does it help you that day, uh, and I've I've emailed Grandpa Bernie a lot of the stories that people have shared like that that it's out there making a difference means a lot to us. Let me. Again, you know, no coincidences, <clears throat> two poems, one by me called Farms and Cities, the other by Charlie of Walking on the Earth and Sky. And in a sense, again, this is why this book happened. You know, when he's sending me a poem, I'm sending him a poem, and we're both feeling the same thing. I mean, I'll read mine then. Because this really happened while I was flying cross country. Fly over the farmland. An abstract artist painted them. Beautiful lines, curves, greens, browns. The beauty of creation lies beneath me. The homes fit between the lines, lost in the beauty of the earth. I fly over the city. Straight lines, square boxes, lined up like soldiers. It hurts my eyes to see what we have done. Nature has no room. Please scatter the houses, make room for the earth to blossom. And then... Charlie, I think there's 64. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll read that one. Okay. Um, this is an example of one of my pieces when um, I kind of have like a, like a feeling um, in me and then I just start typing and see what comes out. And um, this is what came out in, in the case of this one, uh, of walking on the earth and sky. He walks along and comes to see the clouds reflecting along the surface of the water. And he comes to wonder, is he really walking on the earth or in the sky? The earth breathes him and he walks on. The sky carries him and his eyes grow bright. What does it matter whether he is on the earth or in the sky when all in one are one and the same? The water rushes past his feet and he is reminded of his place upon the earth. The breeze whips past his ears and he is reminded of his jaunts across the sky. His hand presses to his heart and his memories of his place among the stars fill the skies within his mind. He walks on and comes to find himself ever present wherever he walks, ever with a place among the earth and the sky. And when he accepts the world around him as an extension of the world inside of him, he comes to realize that there was never actually any difference at all. He breathes in the land and he comes to know peace. Where can people get your new book? So um, when you realize how perfect everything is, it's, it's available online, like Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all that kind of stuff. Um, but if you'd like to get autographed copies or you'd like to, to talk with me or anything, um, you can do it through my mom's store, Wisdom of the Ages. So the website is wisdomoftheages.biz, B-I-Z. Um, and there's a page on there that's like Charlie Siegel, author, and photography by SC is my uh, photography company. Um, there's a page all about that kind of stuff on there with links and things about the book too. And my, my grandfather has bernieseagolmd.com uh, where you can email him through the contact page or you can email me through the contact page on wisdom just so if you want to talk to either one of us um, and there's a, all kinds of articles and cool stuff on his website too uh, with different things that he's done yeah and i'm laughing 
it's not always fun, but Charlie sends me a box of books and said, Grandpa, you got to autograph these. (laughs) (laughs) People tell him they want my autograph, you know, also. And uh, so I get a package and then go back to the post office and send them off. I do have another question. So my uncle recalls, he recalls that he attended uh, many of your speaking engagements and fondly remembers that at the end of each presentation, your wife would come in and tell and tell a string of jokes because you mentioned earlier there was jokes and then and and we know she passed i'm sorry for your loss in 2018 but does her humor still live within you and help sustain you oh yes i mean she i have her portraits up you know around the house her pictures because some of the mystical things that happened to us too i mean to make a long story short we went to a Hawaiian island where a patient of mine died. A butterfly was in the store we were in and we went to rescue it. My wife put her hand up, it landed on her hand and went out of the store with us. And instead of flying away, jumped on my wife's shoulder, went to our hotel with us. And the story is on my website. You can't sleep with a butterfly because I, I said that to my wife. I said, we need to go to bed. You can't sleep with the butterfly, so get rid of it. She went out on the porch, said, okay, brushed it off. I said, look at your other shoulder. It came back in. At that point, I said, this has got to be the spirit of my dead patient. I mean, there is no way to explain how a butterfly would behave that way. So I started talking to it like I would to a person and told it, we're going to have a workshop tomorrow. We want you to participate. You know, I'm going to ask you to jump into a paper bag and I'll bring you there and then open the bag and you'll fly out and we'll talk about the symbols of the butterfly of transformation, blah, blah. Sure enough, I hold up the bag the next morning, butterfly jumps in, we drive there, open the bag at the podium, it flies out. And this is, again, the part that blew my mind. It didn't fly away. It stayed over the workshop from nine in the morning to five at night. It just kept circling. And when I said, all right, we're finished now, then it flew up and away. And the butterfly is, it's a symbol of transformation. And, but, oh, and then a couple of years after my wife died, I hear banging in the area near the living room. And, but I mean, something like, and I wonder what the hell's that? So I go out and there's a butterfly in the house banging on the window to get my attention, same butterfly that was in Hawaii. And so I did what my wife did. I knew she sent it to say hello. I put my hand up like she did. It flew right over onto my hand. And so I then walked outside, held my hand up and it flew off. But again, there's no explaining how the hell it got in the house. You know, people say, oh, well, could these are not coincidences or accidents. I mean, it's the mystical aspects, but the humor to go back to that, more people would thank her at the end of our evening for, you know, 15, 20 minutes of laughter than an hour and a half of serious stuff about life and healing and all that. She had something called, um, oh yeah, the warning signs. You know, the Cancer Society has 10 warning signs. So my wife had 10 signs. I hope I can remember them now. I haven't said them in a long time. Um, your husband calls and says he'd like to have dinner out tonight. So you leave a sandwich on the front porch. 
You get your hair done and come home and the dog growls won't let you in the house. Oh, you put your bra on backwards and it fits better. You call your answering service, nobody answers. You call the missing persons bureau, they tell you to get lost. You call suicide prevention, they put you on hold. You go to see a fortune teller, she offers you a refund. The bird sitting outside your window is a vulture. You know, I mean, it's just so, yeah, because people would bust out laughing, you know, hearing her. And that's when you realize, again, how humor did so much to people. Nobody is ever upset with you if you make them laugh. And I do that a lot, acting silly in various places I go to. People know, don't ask him, how are you? Because my answer is I'm suicidal and I've run out of my antidepressants and my doctor's away on vacation. And people offer me their their antidepressants. Uh, what, what would you like to leave with our audience today for them to, is there a message that you would like to leave them? Yeah, I'm going to read a poem by Charlie called Happiness. What did you find, the old man asked. Where is happiness for you? The young boy stood up atop the bench and held his arms spread wide. It is here, grandfather. Happiness is in everything, and it is in here. And he put his hands to his heart. Happiness cannot be held in the hand, but what you can hold is the hand of another. Since you can't hold it in your hand, you can't lose it when you give some of it away. See, Grandpa, it's magic. It always gets stronger the more of it you share. And that's Charlie Siegel entitled Happiness. And I think that's the part. He realized it. I've come to realize it because a patient said to me, I need to live, be- know how to live between office visits. And when you start helping people live, they don't die when they're supposed to, and you get a a big gift and a lesson out of it too. Oh, that's incredible. And that's why I keep saying I'm more impressed with him than I am with myself. Um, (laughs) Because it took me a lot more suffering and pain to change. And uh, I would love to know what Charlie's past life was because there has to be some angel in there that helped him become who he is today. Thanks. That's always great working with you and and uh, seeing like the our relationship, but the relationship between our work is like a, a world of its own. That um, still amazes me how so many of these pair up like uh, just so totally connected. Um, it's nice to be able to like that kind of 50 50 work together kind of thing. It's very cool. Yeah, um, I say in terms of parenting, see, I mean, Charlie's parents could have said, we don't want you writing a poem or taking photographs. You got to get a job. We want. We would be proud if you were a lawyer or a doctor, you know? And that's how parents ruin people's lives. And I know from people when they learned they had cancer, closing the law office and playing a violin, you know, moving, getting different jobs and not dying when they started to live what they loved. And I think that, you know, was a gift to him. He was given that freedom to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't mean my parents didn't want me to be a doctor. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's just the pain of being a doctor is what locked up all the trouble inside of me. See, the paintings helped. I could have written poetry too, but I didn't realize it till later when I started doing that. Um, but 
when I'd come home from the hospital, I'd paint a portrait of a pet, of a child, uh, my wife, myself, finally, when everybody got so tired of posing for me, they ran out of the house one day when I came home from the hospital. Mm. And I, I thought, what the hell's wrong? And then I realized they don't want to have to sit still while you paint them. So I painted myself. And again, when I said, what are you covering up from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross? I painted myself as a surgeon in the operating room with a cap, a mask, and the gown on. You don't know it's me. And that's my portrait, you know, covered up. And boy, that, so all those, the images, the poems, that's what wakes you up when you find yourself, yeah. That's incredible. Well, you, you are both gifts to each other too, um, and gifts to the world. So you well, give you give so much, and and it is quite a pleasure to have you on. One more quote, because Please. I think it is. It's about immortality. Love is immortal and makes all things immortal. Um, that's in a book called The Human Comedy by William Soroyan, mm. um, and that that's something I woke up to also. You want to live forever? Love somebody. Yeah. That's amazing. One of my um, last things I wanted to leave with people too, it's like we were talking about choice of, of what you want to be. Um, I think I kind of got myself off topic a little bit before when I mentioned <laughs> that I was in Boy Scouts um, was that like I learned a lot of great stuff from it, but it was, you know, like a lot of teenagers and you look at what you want to go to school for and everything. And a lot of the adults were like, they were engineers and stuff. And they were like, that's a great path. You go get, get yourself a good job. And they were kind of like trying to aim some of us towards careers like that um and it never spoke to me and i would go home and be like that they're kind of aiming us at this and talking to us about different things we could classes we could take and stuff and um my, my mom would always be like you gotta do like what speaks to you and and is that like who you want to be um so it, it's and again that's not like telling me what to do at all it's like telling me to ask myself um and also like the, the point too that it's it's often more difficult to do what you want to do. Um, like it can be easier to go get a good paying job and kind of, um, I like there's a lot of good meaningful jobs that are helping like that, but some people kind of like float along in a way doing the, like the job that makes life easier. Um, I worked as a waiter for like three and a half years or so, um, like as a, at a pizza place and then at a breakfast place um, so that I would be, be <laughs> my photography and my writing and um, you, know, you got to pay the bills somehow kind of thing. Uh, like you see that you got to put the work into it sometimes, but if it means something to you, then that's, that's more important to, to do what speaks to you. Um, and the, I'll, I'll read one more of my pieces from our book here. It's in the emotion chapter. Um, this is one of the poems that I, I actually got up one morning and I heard this poem in my head and I thought, no, oh, I'm going to go, get dressed and get ready and stuff. I'll write it when I have time. And then I thought, no, I got to write it now so that it, I still have it. Like I might lose it when I go get off into life and everything for the day. When Peace Becomes You is the, the title of it. Um, so this is part of that message for me. Like we're all a piece of the peace in the world. Um, you can find your own facet to, to how you want to be and what you want to do in being part of that. And it is when the peace overwhelms you and you step into the peace and you become one with the peace, that you realize the peace is a part of your soul, a part of your intellect. 
that then you can become a conveyor of the peace and you can allow it to spread free upon the land for all to be at peace and all is all right. Let me add for my parents that bothered me when I was a kid. I was looking for help, not mottos to live by. And when I would say, I don't know what to do, I have to make a decision. My mother would say, do what makes you happy. And I'd say, Ma, you know help. <laughs> but it was what Charlie was hearing. See, follow your heart, do what makes you happy. And then I had a horrible day at school, everything went wrong. God is redirecting you, something good will come of this. Ma, did you hear what I said? God is redirecting you, something good will come of this. And what I learned ultimately, more well-known, famous, spiritual people had a mother like that. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I remember Norman Vincent Peale saying, his mother said, Norman, when God slams one door further down the corridor, another will be open. Boom. And my father's father died of tuberculosis, leaving six children and a wife with nothing. And my father said, it's one of the best things ever happened to me. I said, what are you talking about? You went through hell because he was talking with a group of people and he said that. He said, yeah, I know, but it taught me what was important about life. Okay. And boy, you grow up with parents giving you those mottos to live by, see, not die by. Because I realized what changed so many people was what they were told. You know, we can't be proud of you. I'm laughing because three mothers are talking. My son bought me this beautiful Cadillac. Uh, you know, my son helped us buy a beautiful mansion to live in. And the third one said, oh, my son sees a psychiatrist every week and he talks about me for an hour, you know? <laughs> and uh, that was the kind of things my wife would say, you know, to people, all her jokes. But it, it's really what our parents gave us, you know? And that's your life is created then. And I've had enormous number of spiritual experiences uh, from an angel I have, you know, the Elizabeth Google Ross got me started on past life, uh, you know, the drawings of pictures, all those things uh, that really have altered my beliefs and my life and passed it on to others. Yeah, I'd love to have you on again. If uh, certainly love your stories and you're, you're both amazing people. So yes, that's I why I was amazed at how amazing this young man is. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. I'm, I'm honored to be on your show too. It's such a nice message to be carrying on your mom's work and, and everything. And that's, uh, I'm glad to be a part of that. Thank you. Well, it's, it's wonderful to have you. Um, and you carry on your grandfather's legacy, which is amazing. Yeah, that's nice. So uh, uh, thank you again uh, for being on the show and, and we look forward to having you next time. This is Cindy Gilman and you're listening to Discover Your Potential. So until next time, do something nice for yourself, but do something nice for someone else.